All right, well, we're going, and I've turned on the podcast, and I think we're all set. So, it's great to be back. I can't believe we missed four Tuesdays. How many people here barely remembered we had class today? Really? I did. I barely remembered. Class? It's not true. I couldn't wait to get back here with you guys. You kidding me? Now, as you can tell, I'm a little bit under the weather. Um, It happened. I'm pretty sure I know when it happened. I told Monday class it happened on the flight home from Copenhagen to London. SES flight 505. (laughs) Sat down in my seat and there was a hospital ward behind me. Coughing and hacking and hacking and coughing. And I knew I was doomed, doomed. And sure enough, I was. So I'm just, I'm, I didn't make my usual stroll around the tables because I really don't want to make anybody sick. So I'm just going to wave to everybody from up here and I'll be sucking on a few lozenges now and then. Lauren brought me some tissues over here and I got a big cup of water, so I think I'll be good. You know, if I need anything stronger, I'll let you know. What's that? Yeah, I remember one time in college, I came to, was coming down with a cold. And so, it was a, we were all living in a college dorm, and it was, a, it was a dry parish. It was Louisiana Tech. And there was no alcohol sold anywhere in the parish, county. So these guys said, okay, Scott, we know how to get you fixed up. And so they reached up and pushed the ceiling tiles away, and they pulled out a bottle of Southern Comfort. Have you ever heard of that? I'm sure if I had that today, I would find that the most sickening (laughs) whiskey ever conceived. But at the time, now here's what happened. So I drank some Southern Comfort, and I would swear I woke up in the morning and I was well. Yeah. Miracle. Miracle. So let's see. Okay. Guess what? I have no announcements. We're going to be here on Tuesday until you are sick of it. <laughs> Patty and I have no plans. We've, we've gone everywhere and done everything, and we had a wonderful time. Norway is a spectacular place to go. It is worth saving your pennies to go take a cruise up the western side of Norway to the fjords. It's just, do it, in, do it like in July or August. It's just so beautiful and so cool and just so green and every time I get to go to Norway which we've been to several times I just wonder what what would it be like to really grow up around that kind of natural beauty every day you walk out they have the mountains the waterfalls in the mountains this babbling stream that is pretty large actually flowing past your house it's just like a storybook so it's if you it's a good thing to it's a good bucket list item i would say wouldn't you say patty yeah they may want to go somewhere they can warm up but not me yes you know i i saw a cbs thing many years ago it was like about which is the happiest country they the polls you know and the country that was at the top of the list was denmark so they went they asked a few danes well, 
why are you all so happy? Why, you know, you pay a lot in taxes. He says, ah, we're all cousins. <laughs> right? We're all cousins here. We're all Danes. We're all cousins. Everybody's related to everybody else somehow. So, like yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or Arkansas. You got it. Exactly. It is a very expensive place. Copenhagen's expensive. Norway's very expensive. Just, you look at the prices of things up there and you just kind of fall over. And you go back to the ship and get something to eat. So, because you've already paid for that. Yeah. All right. So, today we are returning to Samuel. Remember, it is First and Second Samuel is one book. It's one extended piece of writing artificially divided into first and second Samuel and we finished up first Samuel the last time we met so today we're going to finish up second Samuel and on the surface it sort of seems like we're at this moment where it's the king is dead long live the king kind of moment but it is not going to be straightforward with Saul's death. So um, I'm going to open us up with prayer and then we'll plunge in and we will go as long as my voice holds out. Okay? Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we are grateful to be here today. We are grateful to be back together after a month. A month. And we pray, as you do every time we gather, that your Holy Spirit would guide us and direct us and open up our hearts and our minds to you and to the scripture. Um, help us to appreciate that these are not just random stories about random people at a random time. This is the, these are the stories of you, Lord, and your people. And help us to approach it that way. This indeed is Holy Scripture. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So anything y'all would like to talk about before we get going today? Okay. How about those rangers? Okay. So, just to review, in the lead up to the death of Saul, there's my map. Remember, the, the Israelite forces and the forces of the Philistines went up to Mount Gilboa in the Jezreel Valley where they were going to confront each other in battle. And David was going to go along, supposedly, to fight on the side of the Philistines against the Israelites. <coughs> and Achish, the Philistine king, was totally down with that. But the other Philistine kings were not. So in the end, David and his men went down to Ziklag, okay, um, which is where they were. And when they got down there, remember what they found? They found that the Amalekites and others had come up and raided Ziklag and made off with all of their women and children and stuff and livestock. So they went off in pursuit of them and they got it all back. Meanwhile, up at Mount Gilboa, okay, 
here. I have a slide here with Mount Bowen, kind of a road. Remember, it's, it's just this right here. That's the Jezreel Valley. That's Mount Gilboa. Meanwhile, Mount, at Mount Gilboa, the two armies met and the Philistines won the day. Saul was killed and Jonathan was killed. And Saul's other son was killed. So now, King Saul is dead. David is down at Ziklag. The, the Israelite forces have fled the battlefield. And that is how 2 Samuel chapter 1 opens. Okay? So, 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1. After the death of Saul, David returned from striking down the Amalekites, because they had made off with, you know, women, children, livestock, and stayed in Ziklag two days. On the third day, a man arrived from Saul's camp, way up in the north, with his clothes torn and dust on his head, and he came to David, and he fell to the ground in obeisance to pay him honor. Face to the ground, arms laid out. Very ancient Near Eastern thing to do. And David asked him, where have you come from? And the man said, I have escaped from the Israelite camp. What happened, David said, tell me. The men fled from the battle, he replied. Many of them fell and died, and Saul and his son Jonathan are dead. So this, at this moment, just, just reflect back on the relationship between David and Jonathan. And if we went back and we found all those little places, I'll just remind you what we would see is that Jonathan was, Jonathan was really much more of a committed friend than David was. But they were like soulmates. And Jonathan had given David his, his the, the royal robe as the successor to the throne and so forth. It was, this had to hit David very hard. That Jonathan is dead. Jonathan. So David said to the young man who brought him the report, how do you know that Saul and his son Jonathan are dead? Good question, right? I mean, they don't have like, this kind of ways we have to find out things. So the young man said, well, I happen to be on Mount Gilboa. And there was Saul leaning on his spear with the chariots and their drivers in hot pursuit. When he turned around and saw me, he called me out to him and I said, what can I do? And he asked me, who are you? And I said, I am an Amalekite. They are the one of the traditional enemies of Israel. Then he said to me, stand here by me and kill me. I'm in the throes of death, but I'm still alive. So I stood beside him and I killed him. Because I knew that after he had fallen, he could not survive. And I took the crown that was on his head and the band on his arm and have brought them here to my Lord. 
So you remember that Saul's body was desecrated and everything. Remember that, that his head was cut off by the Philistines and his body was, and Jonathan's body were nailed to walls and the men of Jabesh Gilead went there in the night to cut him down and bring him back. Verse 11. Then David and all the men with him took hold of their clothes and they tore them. They mourned and they wept and they fasted till evening for Saul and his son Jonathan and for the army of Yahweh and for the nation of Israel because they had fallen by the sword. It's a black, black day, dark day. David said to the young man who brought the report, where are you from? And the young man said, I am the son of a foreigner, an Amalekite. And David asked him, why weren't you afraid to lift your hand to destroy Yahweh's anointed? Remember the occasions when David had the opportunity to kill Saul. Saul is hell-bent on, on killing David, tracking him all over the countryside. And at least twice, David had a clear opportunity to strike first, and he refused. He refused to strike down the Lord's anointed. He wouldn't let his men do it. I think his men were confused by that. They didn't understand that. But David said, this is Yahweh's anointed. It is not my place to strike him down. But now this Amalekite has done it. Then David called one of his men, and he said to him, Go, strike this man down. So he struck the man down, and he died. For David had said to him, Your blood be on your own head. Your own mouth testified against you when you said, I killed Yahweh's anointed. Yeah. If, to kill him because he knew he'd be if the young man is telling the truth, right? All we have, right? All we have is the young man's own report, and he thought that report would be enough, right? So, besides, just because somebody asks you to kill them doesn't mean that you should. And I think we've seen enough of David to grasp that, as far as David is concerned, there's really. It's, it would be a horrible sin to kill the Lord's anointed. David wouldn't do it, opportunity or not, okay? Supposedly, this young man was asked, this specific young man was asked, and then makes his way down to David and all that kind of stuff. But for David, it, it's, it's, it's a crime. And he has the young man struck down. And remind, so, you know, so, in so much of the Old Testament, the stories for us are not moral lessons. They're just telling you what happened. David is not always a moral exemplar. They just tell you what happened. 
The writer of this doesn't even take a position. He doesn't say, oh, this was absolutely right or this was absolutely wrong. He just tells you what happens. It's easy, I think, because, well, it's easy to come to the Old Testament and think that what we have is all these stories of all these lessons about how we're to live. Many of them are not. There are many stories coming from David that you do not want to replicate or imitate in your own life. They just tell you what happened. These are real stories about real people. And at a time, 3,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago, more than 1,000 years before Jesus, 400 years before Buddha. I mean, it's just, it's just, a, it's just an ancient world. It's a violent world. And this man did what David would not do. And I don't, I don't think the fact that Saul asked him to do it means a thing. You asked me to kill you, I'm not going to do it, Don. I just want you to know. Yeah. Anything else? Yeah. Okay, so he, he, so he shows up, so we know that he has the crown and the band. So he has some of Saul's stuff, right? Now, how did he get that stuff? He might have just come across it after Saul was dead, right? Because all we have is this, this one, he's an Amalekite. In the eyes of the Israelites, this one untrustworthy, because he's an Amalekite. They were the untrustworthy enemies of Israel. This, this one Amalekite's word about what happened. And I think the significance of this is that, is that the young man brought it to David thinking that he was going to get a big reward. Thinking that he was going to get a big reward. But no. He killed the Lord's anointed. And again, it tells you something, maybe a lot, about David's mindset, about God, God's anointing. Uh, <coughs> David's unwillingness to take things upon himself that he doesn't think he should. And the Amalekite pays the big price. So... The writer doesn't tell us everything we'd like to know. The writer might not know, you, right? You just have the report from the Amalekite and you have the two items, that's it. And so, but Saul is dead, yes. What? That the Amalekite called David my lord, which means like my master, because David is like, he made his way down there. He knows Saul is dead, so everybody seems to know that Saul was after David. Presumably because they thought, presumably I would guess, people thought that David was going to be this threat to Saul because he was going to be Saul's successor. So calling him lord is just like calling him master. Maybe a very inflated sir, sir, 
kind of thing. He not only calls him Lord, he falls to the ground to honor him. I could say he's really sucking up to him <laughs> when he gets there. You know? Yeah. Yes, Patty. She's right. Didn't really die. Is that what happened? Well, it said Saul fell on his own sword. But he wasn't dead. Or at least what this young man says. See? So, so that leads you to think that what? The young man is not telling the full truth about what he did. Right? Mm -hmm. But it's possible that the young man had run into Saul before Saul fell on his own sword. We just have a... Most of us operate our lives with incomplete information, don't we? The world is run on incomplete information. So this is, this is that. And as far as David's concerned, the only thing that matters is that this Amalekite claimed to have killed Saul. If he did, so be it. If he didn't, he was stupid to claim it. He thinks, he, I imagine he thinks that by claiming all of this and showing up with the band and the crown that he was going to end up currying a lot of favor with David who he thinks might be the next king, king of Israel or something. But he is just wrong about that. Was it a moral issue? Is what a moral issue? Do you kill someone just because they ask you to? This Amalekite on top of it. Maybe if it's one of Saul's armor bearers or something. But if you're an Amalekite, I, I think that we're told certain pieces of the story. And I think the big piece here at the beginning of 2 Samuel is that the Amalekite comes down thinking he's going to curry favor with David, with the story, with the items, which I kind of think he found on the battlefield. And he finds, no, he killed the Lord's anointed, which goes back to 1 Samuel 24, 1 Samuel 26, when David's own men can't understand why David doesn't take the opportunity to kill Saul. Well, that's you can. Why it's good to have you here to clear these. Yeah. You you can still feel badly for the Amalekite. No, yeah. <laughs> because it it's possible. Is it possible that there was enough left of Saul that the Amalekite did kill him? I don't know. But the big thing is what is that David says to the Amalekite, "You killed Yahweh's anointed." That's the big thing. First Samuel twenty four. 1 Samuel 26, when David turns down the opportunity 
to do so. Even though Saul's chasing David all over creation. Not all over, but hither and yon. I would not think the Amalekite had any sort of vested interest except trying to save his own skin and maybe currying favor with David. Here's my chance. And so, boom, off he goes and he takes it back. Yes, sir? I can't hear you, Ken. The, the Amalekite appears to have been doing something devious. Uh, I have a weapon that was awarded to my father after a big battle in Italy uh, that a German officer who had been taken captive with several German soldiers and did not disclose that he was an officer. My father came back from the battle. He was company commander. He walked in, G2 was the only, you know, you hear about the GIs, I feel like G1 and G2. G2 was a security Anyway, he walks in this young captain and says, Pardon me, God, you The guy says, We just have some German soldiers, they don't know anything. My father says, That's a German army over there in the corner. And the guy says, No. My father walks over to him, and the German officer, in deference to my father being a superior officer, he made the mistake of standing up. Y'all may have seen pictures before something. The German great coat. This is the winter of 44 45, just a few months before the war ended. And that was in the northern Italian campaign. He stands up. When he does his great coat shifts, my father grabs it by the lapels, reaches down inside, and finds a loaded Italian Beretta 32 caliber, which World War II Museum may have right up on the back. They want to get it up. Uh, but, but dad, and it was loaded, and it had one in the chamber. Dad said, you guys are going to be dead in five minutes. And because dad found that, he was nominated to have a bronze star. It went up through the regimental command, and, and, and the, uh, the regimental crew says, we're not going to embarrass you too. But they gave my father the weapon as a souvenir. Okay. We have it in our possession. Dad's written that down in New Orleans in the World War II Museum. And the museum wants that gun, but my sister says, no way, that's an I just, I, yeah. And I just think any deep. That's what can happen in war when, something, when someone's doing something for their own benefit. I can see that this Amalekite was, you know, coming back and doing all this stuff to David. But David's number one. Services to the Lord, and you kill the Lord's anointed. No way you get that. Okay, thank you, Ken. All right, so let's go on to verse 17. So now David took up this lament. It's a song, a sad song, a song of mourning concerning Saul and his son Jonathan. And he ordered that the people of Judah be taught this lament of the bow.
It is written in the book of Jashar. Now, do we have the book of Jashar? We do not have the book of Jashar. It's an instance where we know of a piece of writing, right? Someday could somebody find something like, find the book of Jashar? I guess so. But it just reminds us that there are writings other than Kings and Samuel and Chronicles and the things that are preserved for us as scripture. The Israelites were a writing people and they had other written works. So here is the lament. A gazelle lies slain on your heights, Israel. How the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath, Philistine city. Proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon, Philistine city. Let the daughters of the Philistines be, lest the daughters of the Philistines be glad, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised rejoice. Mountains of Gilboa, may you have neither dew nor rain. May no showers fall on your terraced fields, for there the shield of the mighty was despised, the shield of Saul, no longer rubbed with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the flesh of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back. The sword of Saul did not return unsatisfied. Saul, meaning they fought to the end. Saul and Jonathan, in life they were loved and admired, and in death they were not parted. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. Daughters of Israel, weep for Saul, who clothed you in scarlet and finery, who adorned your garments with ornaments of gold, because under Saul the tribes came together, unified, and grew in worldly power and wealth. It would, the kingdom would continue to grow in worldly and power and wealth under David, and it would reach its zenith under Solomon. Verse 25, How the mighty have fallen in battle! Jonathan lies slain on your heights. I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were very dear to me. Your love for me was wonderful, more wonderful than that of women. How the mighty have fallen. The weapons of war have perished. So, you know, David is a writer of songs, a writer of psalms. A lot of the psalms are in David's name, um, written to be performed with music, which we don't have. Remember, he plays the lyre. That's kind of where he got started with Saul, was being called into Saul's royal cab cabinet, his royal court, in order to soothe Saul's tempers uh, by, by playing for him. In the course of time, David inquired of Yahweh, Shall I go up to one of the towns of Judah? He asked. And the Lord said, Go up. Yes. David asked, Where shall I go? To Hebron, Yahweh answered. Hebron is one of the central cities. Let's see if I see. I don't have that on a map. 
It's one of the central cities because remember in Israel, go back to this here. In Israel there's, here we go, Scott. There we go. Okay, so that, remember, there's a mountainous ridge line, the Jezreel Valley, and a mountainous ridge line. And as this goes south, Jerusalem is like right here, okay? Hebron, all of those, these are all these central places at this, in this part of the Old Testament where things are happening. Right there. So David went up there to Hebron with his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail. Remember Abigail? First Samuel 25, she was married to Nabal the fool. She saved David from committing terror. It's not doing a terrible, terrible act. So he go, takes with him his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David also took the men who were with him, each with his family, and they settled in Hebron and its towns. Then the men of Judah came to Hebron. Judah's a tribe. Right? There are, there are 12 tribes. Judah's a tribe. So the men of Judah, the tribe of Judah, came to Hebron, and there they anointed David king over the tribe of Judah. So is he the king over the United Tribes as Saul was the king of the United Tribes? No. He is only king over the tribe of Judah. The other tribes do no longer have a unified king. They will have their tribal chieftains and stuff, but there's not a unit. The, the, the kingdom that was unified under Saul is not unified now. And the question is, Will David be able to unify the tribes under his kingship, under his leadership? When David was told that it was the men from Jabesh Gilead who had buried Saul, I do have that on a map. Here's Jabesh Gilead, Mount Gilboa. Remember the men from Jabesh Gilead are the ones who went and rescued Saul's body. Jonathan's body from the Philistines. When David was told that it was the men of Jabesh Gilead who had buried Saul, he sent messengers to them to say to them, Yahweh bless you for showing this kindness to Saul, your master, by burying him. May Yahweh now show you kindness and faithfulness, and I too will show you the same favor because you have done this. Now then, be strong and brave, for Saul, your master, is dead, and the people of Judah have anointed me king over them. So when you... What's your sense of how David is going about this? What? Judiciously, yes. Respectfully to Judah. I mean, to Saul, slowly. He's not racing in, making a lot of demands or anything. Ask the Lord what to do. One thing to keep an eye on is how it goes for David when he asks the Lord what to do. 
And when he doesn't ask the Lord what to do, because sometimes he does, and sometimes he doesn't. And he probably should all the time. There's, we sh you know, we should all pray for guidance from God. I know it can be difficult to discern and to understand what, what God might be saying to you, and we have Christian friends who can help us in that. Um, but it's always a good thing to go to God in prayer. Always. So, all right. Now, meanwhile, that's one of those big, you know something's coming after that, right? Meanwhile, Abner, son of Ner, the commander of Saul's army, had taken Ishbosheth. These are tricky names. You got to know them all. You got to know Abner. You need to know Ishbosheth. Ishbosheth. I will butcher it every time. Ishbosheth, son of Saul, and brought them over to Mahanaim. So Jonathan's dead. Another son, whose name I can't remember, died on the what? Three died. Three sons, Jonathan and two others, died on Mount Gabob. Okay, thanks, Patty. But there's yet another son. Now, are these sons all sons of the same women? No. That's where you can get off in this kind of stuff. So they are, in some cases, they'll be full siblings. In some cases, they'll be half siblings. You have to get clues or a chart in your Bible study, in your study Bible, where somebody worked it out for you to show you, but, but the king has multiple wives and children by those wives, and now sons by those wives. But Ishbosheth is a son of Saul, the successor to the throne. And so in that one sentence, you see the confrontation coming. David has been crowned king of the tribe of Judah, and the tribe of Judah is far and away the largest, richest, tr most powerful tribe of the twelve. And so you see already what's coming. It's David versus Ishbosheth. Does Ishbosheth know that Samuel anointed David to be king of Israel? No. I don't think so either. I don't know that it will make any difference to him. So Abner takes Ishbosheth, brought him over to Mahanaim, just another city there in the central highlands. He made him king over Gilead, Ashuri, and Jezreel, and also over Ephraim, Benjamin, and all Israel. Pretty much the other tribes. Ishbosheth, son of Saul, was 40 years old when he became king over Israel. And he reigned two years. The tribe of Judah, however, remained loyal to David. The length of time David was king in Hebron over Judah was seven years and six months. So just in that little paragraph were told a lot of things. David is going to be king of Judah for more than seven years. While Ishbosheth is king over the rest. And it's written this way because obviously it's written after the fact, right? 
and looking back what's kind of come you're seeing the, the these hints of what will be the separation of the tribes into the kingdom of Israel in the north and the kingdom of Judah in the south that will come after the death of um, David's son Solomon but it's coming it's coming and the seeds are being planted here and they're planted after Saul's death because you now have basically two kings you have king of Judah you could say to me Scott but it's just one tribe there's 11 others yeah but they're not equal it's like it's like Texas and 11 Rhode Islands is anybody here from Rhode Island? Okay, safe then. Yeah, it's that kind of thing. Judah's the biggest, of the, I mean, I mean, Judah become, Judah, uh, where's Jerusalem? In Judah. In Judah, right? So, so it's, Jerusalem is not, is not Israelite yet, but it will be. It is just, that, that's where the weight of power is among the 12 tribes in the tribe of Judah fourth son of Jacob. So, now Abner, verse 12, Abner, son of Ner, together with the men of Ishbosheth, son of Saul, left Mahanaim and went to Gibeon. Joab, son of Zariah, and David's men went out and met them at the pool of Gibeon. So these are two parties, two groups on these two contending sides. Abner and Ishbosheth from Saul and Joab and David's men from David. Okay? And they met them at the pool of Gibeon. One group sat down on one side of the pool and one group sat down on the other side. Then Abner said to Joab, let's have some of the young men get up and fight hand to hand in front of us. And Joab said, Joab said, all right, let them do it. So they stood up and were counted off. Twelve men for Benjamin and Ishbosheth, son of Saul. I wish his name was something other than Ishbosheth. And twelve for David. Then each man grabbed his opponent by the head, thrust his dagger into his opponent's side, and they all fell down together. Dead, I guess. <sighs> this world is a lot different than Plano in 2020. Well, not so much. Plano 2023 sounds like Chicago. So that place in Gibeon was called Helkath Hazurim. And if you look in your footnotes, it will tell you it means field of daggers or field of hostilities. So what is this little story telling you? What are you being introduced to? Well, it says that they all killed each other, and then it says uh, the men of Israel were beaten by the servants of David. They're all, they're all Israelites. They're all from, they're, they're, they all have the blood of Abraham flowing in their veins, right? Because the family of Abraham has 12 tribes, the sons of Jacob. We have the servants of David versus the servants of A-S-H, whatever, however you call him. Ishbosheth. <laughs> and so what, but what's, what's it telling you? Blood is being spilled. 
This is not like the Israelites and the Amalekites. This is not like the Israelites and the Philistines. These are cousins. These are cousins. And blood is being spilt now. This is the blood of Israelites. This is the blood of Abraham's family that is being spilled. It's all giving you these, these pointers and hits about what is coming, about civil war coming. Civil wars start slowly, and they start small. And then they grow, and they grow, and they grow, and they grow until the conflagration is consuming everybody. But here we're told the tribe of Judah remains loyal to David. Ishbosheth and the other tribes, they meet. They each contribute 12 men. Those 12 men kill each other. 24 Israelites dead. For what? Nothing. nothing. Not a damn thing. For nothing. Anything accomplished by it? Could it have been entertaining to watch cousins kill each other? I don't think so. But it's, a, it's, it's one of these signposts to what's coming. Be, but Patty, but it's not really quite set up that way because it just says they show up at this lovely pool. Some sit on one side, some sit on the other side. Let's have some young men fight. Okay? They don't tell us that they're going to settle anything or that, you know, not, not like when, um, remember when Goliath came out? What was the challenge to the Israelites? Send an Israelite champion out. If the Israelite champion defeats Goliath, we will be your servants and slaves. If Goliath defeats you, you will, you will be our servants and slaves. Nothing really like that. It's, it's just odd. It's just so blood. Was it maybe that the intention probably wasn't that they would all kill each other, but whoever had the most survivors would win? And win what? <laughs> See, that's... See, I, you know, if I were preaching this, I never have. If I were preaching this, I'd preach this as the futility, the futility of war. 24 young men, they're all dead. To what end? Just blood spilled, and there's going to be a whole lot more blood spilled over the coming years. Yes. Nope, just says Abner, Abner was. Abner works for Ishbosheth. It says Abner together with the men of Ishbosheth. Oh, okay. I don't think either of them were there. It's. I don't know. I, I just think it's. it's I've always thought it was just a pointer to the terrible things that are going to come. You know? What? Gosh, maybe that's what they were thinking, going to have a little sport, but 
The thing is, blood is now being spilt, right? You have, you have, you have dueling kings, King of Judah, David, and Ishbosheth, and now blood is being spilt. What lies next? How bad is this going to get, right? What's that? I don't know, you know, so. <coughs> nice. That must sound really good with streaming. Sure it does. Okay, one second. So, now, these 24 men are dead. Now, the next sentence leads us to think that maybe the idea was they would each pick 12, and whichever of those were victorious, they would be the victor for the day. And you'd skip the big battle. But they all died, right? So now there's going to be a battle. So what is it going to be? What's the battle about? More blood. Contending kings. The battle that day was very fierce. But the kings aren't even there. Kings aren't there. It's just the servants of the kings. The commanders, the two commanders. Abner for, for Ishbosheth and um, Joab. Again, two names you need to know. Remember these names. Abner and Joab. The battle that day was very fierce, and Abner and the Israelites were defeated by David's men. The three sons of Zariah were there. Now, Zariah has three sons, Joab, Abishai, and Asahel. I'm... But I'm getting them right. I want you to know those three names I know because this is this is, this is, this is some story that unfolds here. Now Asahel was as fleet-footed as a wild gazelle, and he chased Abner, turning neither to the right nor to the left as he pursued him. Abner looked behind him and asked, "Is that you, Asahel?" which drives home the craziness of this. This is civil war. These people all know one another. It's terrible. It's terrible. This is not like they're fighting the Amalekites or the Philistines. They're all Abraham's family. They're all part of God's family. I just think God weeps through this whole, this whole all of these episodes. This is not how it's supposed to be for God's family. Is that you, Asahel? It is, he answered. Then Abner said to him, Turn aside to the right or turn aside to the left. Take on one of the young men and strip him of his weapons. But Asahel would not stop chasing him. So what do you think Abner's telling Asahel? Stop. You don't know what you're getting into. Right? Little Asahel, he's fleet of foot, but he's going after one of the 
He's going with the commander of the armies, which means he is, Abner's battle-tested, he's experienced. And Abner says, don't do this, stop. Take on one of the young men, take his weapons, take him back, you'll be a hero, dude. But you gotta stop because you, you, you wanna fight, you're, gonna, you're not gonna win. But Asahel would not stop chasing him. You know, youth can be foolish, can't it? Mm -hmm. Right? Do you think there, there might have been a grudge between them? Hmm, maybe. You know, I think there's a growing grudge between those who are with David and those who are with Ishbosheth. Yeah. Might there be some personal grudges between Zariah and Abner or one of them of these sons of Abner? I don't know, but I've always read this basically as. Asahel simply being a foolish young man. He's chasing, he's chasing down a car and he's not going to win that. Right? Asahel would not stop chasing him. Again, Abner warned Asahel, stop chasing me. Why should I strike you down? How could I look your brother Joab in the face? These men all know each other. I get the sense that Joab is the oldest of the three brothers, Joab, Abishai, and Asahel. And Abner just wants Asahel to stop and go back. But Asahel, verse 23, but Asahel refused to give up the pursuit. So Abner thrust the butt of his spear into Abner's stomach and the spear came out through his back. But Asahel refused to give up on the pursuit, so Abner thrust the butt of his spear into Asahel's stomach. I don't know what I read, the, what I said the first time. Yeah, Abner's basically killing Asahel. Asahel caught the car. Do you get that metaphor, right? And the spear came out through his back. He fell there and died on the spot. And every man stopped when he came to the place where Asahel had fallen and died. They stopped. Why do they stop? They're stunned. They're stunned. They've been fighting and all this other stuff. And now, look. It's just one of those real like, whoa. What just happened? What just happened? You know, it, it's, Asahel is dead. Abner's spear is sticking through his body from the front to the back. What are we doing? What's going on? What's happening? That's the way I see it. I think that's how most big, big, what? Sure. I'm sure that's what he thought. Foolishness on a youth's part, right? So he's fast, 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 but he's not going to be. He's not going to out-combat Abner. So it's, and, and people are, they're just, everyone stops. But Joab and Abishai pursued Abner. So those are the two brothers now, right? So now there is, there is blood guilt involved. Abner killed Asahel. Abner killed the brothers of Joab and Abishai. And I'm with a, I don't know, you know, 
like I think we all do this. The stories are so rich that we want to step into them, right? And so I, I, I step into this, and I think Joab and Abishai think Abner could have done differently. He could have done something differently. It was a mismatch. It was a mismatch. And so now they're chasing him down. They are chasing down Abner. And as the sun was setting, they came to the hill of Amah near Gia on the way to the wasteland of Gibeon. Then the men of Benjamin rallied behind Abner. They formed themselves into a group and took their stand on top of a hill. Abner called out to Joab, Must the sword devour forever? See? Must the sword devour forever? Because that's what happens, right? Small conflicts grow into giant conflagrations. More Americans died in the Civil War than any other war in our history. Hundreds and hundreds of thousands, how many? 600,000, 700,000 Americans died. And they, they were all Americans, but they weren't, it's not really the same as these tribes, because these tribes are all literally cousins. They trace, you know, Jews kept genealogies. You have a lot of them in the Bible. Why do, you have, why do they keep genealogies? Because genealogy is the way that you, you can tell the story, your story, your past. Here is who I am. Look who I am. Boom, 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 boom. Look where I come from. And so they all can do that. And they all trace their genealogies back to Jacob and Abraham. So Abner called out to Joab, must the sword devour forever? Don't you realize that this will end in bitterness? Huh. How long before you order your men to stop pursuing their fellow Israelites? They should never have started. They should never have met at the pond. They should never have had the 24 men fight and kill each other. There's a they just should have nipped it in the bud and come up with a different way forward. Because once that flame is lit, Abner's right. How, how's this going to end? Every body that falls is another, is another bucket of bitterness. So Joab answered, As surely as God lives, if you had not spoken, the men would have continued pursuing them until morning. So, Joab blew the trumpet, and all the troops came to a halt. They no longer pursued Israel. Now that's, that again, that name, calling the other tribes Israel, is something that actually comes from a later time. Does that make sense? I want to make talk about this. Make sure we're all squared away. There's going to be a big civil war and separation, and... <coughs> The northern tribes are going to be called Israel, and the southern tribe is going to be called Judah. So that future is being read back into here, where it's Judah 
and Israel, when it's really just Judah and the other tribes. Does that make sense? It gets very confusing. If you don't, you really got to live with this and get this. You know, that is, Israel is the name of a people. Israel is the name of a kingdom. Israel ends up being the name of the northern kingdom, which is only a part of the kingdom of Israelites because there's the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. That's coming. A ways away. Um, we won't get there in, in the book of Samuel. But so that the writer takes that and reads it back into this and you have Judah and Israel. Any questions about that? Yeah. And what does Joab do? Joab says, yes, you are right. I'm blowing the trumpet. We're putting a halt to this, you know, because I think both Abner and Joab are mature enough, experienced enough to know that they could quickly, quickly end up with a fire they can't put out. Yeah. What makes what? What makes the difference between Israel and Judah? The landmass, the wealth, they don't want to believe together, they're too close. Well, what's causing the conflict here? Well, here they're causing the conflict because there are these two contending kings, right? Mm -hmm. The son of Saul, Ishbosheth, he does have a legitimate claim on the throne, mm -hmm. but then there is the Lord's anointed now, who is David, mm -hmm. tribe of Judah. So that, that's the conflict now. After David's son Solomon dies, after David's son Solomon dies, Solomon's son Rehoboth takes the throne. He's a fool. And he comes down with both feet on the northern tribes, the tribes other than Judah. And they, they leave. They depart. And there is a man who leads them in that. And why does it happen? It happens because of human jealousies, greed, need for power. The Israelites, they are God's people, but they're not immune to that, right? And so, it's um, it's a sad it, it is a sad story, but right now you're just getting these little hints, these little bitty pieces, kind of like you saw you left Dallas and you saw a sign that said Atlanta, 650 miles. That's what these are, Atlanta, just little signposts to what is coming, and so right now 
Abner and Joab put it back together. They blow the horn, stop the pursuit, stop the fighting, but it doesn't resolve anything, right? Dave, we're told, already been told that David is going to be king of Judah for seven, for seven years. Even for a person as old as I am, seven years is a pretty long time. Okay? Well, okay, so Joab, verse 28. So Joab blew the trumpet, and all the troops came to a halt. They no longer pursued Israel. These are the, this, these are the tribes um, loyal to Ishbosheth. Nor did they fight anymore. And all that, <clears throat> all that night, Abner and his men marched through the Arabah. They crossed the Jordan, continued through the morning hours, and came back to Mahanaim. Then Joab stopped pursuing Abner and assembled the whole army. Besides Asahel, 19 of David's men were found missing. <coughs> Remember, David had his own inner group of about 400 fighters. But David's men had killed 360 Benjamites who were with Abner. And they took Asahel and they buried him in his father's tomb at Bethlehem. Then Joab and his men marched all night, and they arrived back at Hebron, where David is, by daybreak. So I think what I want to do is just we're going to do this next little bit, but we're not going to pick up. We're going to stop before we get to verse six of chapter three. The war between the house of Saul and the house of David, remember that had been going on for a long time, right? With Saul chasing David all over the hills and valleys and caves. Lasted a long time. David grew stronger and stronger while the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. Sons were born to David in Hebron. Does David have multiple wives? Yes. His firstborn was Amnon, the son of Ahinoam of Jezreel. His second, Kiliab, the son of Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. The third, Absalom. These are famous names, Amnon. Um, uh, oh gosh, who wrote Absalom, O oh Absalom? The novel. Yes, Faulkner novel, Absalom, oh Absalom. So it's just, gosh, these stories that are coming, they're so powerful. Amnon, Absalom, the third Absalom, the son of Makah, daughter of Talmai, king of Jeshur. The fourth, Adonijah, the son of Haggith. The fifth, Shephatiah, the son of Abitai. And the sixth, Ithream the son of David's wife, Eglah. These were born to David in Hebron. The, of those lists of sons, the two that you need to know, and remember, maybe sort of plant away, are Amnon and Absalom. They will play big roles, big roles down the road. Yes? 
They're all his wives. He's got multiple wives. He's like a he's like a king now. King in this world, kings had harems. When we meet, well, we won't meet Solomon because that's in the book of Kings. But Solomon, we're told, had 300 wives and 700 concubines. Way. Way. Yeah, yeah. And, and if, you, if you read 1 Kings 11 correctly, which is what we are told, that you understand that there lies, therein lies the beginning of the decline of Israel because they all brought their own pagan gods and goddesses into Israel. And so, anyway, when we come back next week, we're going to pick it up there, and we're going to see that Abner is going to change sides. Oh, yeah. Yep. So, any questions, anything today? Appreciate y'all hanging in with me today as I try to use my voice, which is feeble. That's the same. A little worse than yesterday, I think, my voice is. But, uh, you know, the good thing is, it'll go away. That's it. So, all right. Well, I'm going to close this in prayer then. Would you pray with me? Gracious Lord, as we leave here today, hold us close. Help us to understand that you have brought us into this world to be people of peace. People pursuing justice and mercy. War making is filled with hostile with futility. Help us to turn aside from selfish ambition and pride, greed, envy, and embrace lives that reflect our new birth in and through your Son Jesus Christ. Lives marked by compassion and kindness and grace and mercy and joy and patience and self-discipline. These are the lives that we, we should be striving to lead every day. And the lives that we should ask that others lead as well. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.